Good morning. How's everybody doing? Three of you are doing good. I'll try it one more time to see if you change your mind. How's everybody doing? All right. A few more folks are doing better. That's all right. Uh, God's good, especially when the Razorbacks are winning, right? Uh, oh, now we liven up. We sing about a risen Savior. Razorbacks winning. Come on, folks, let's wake up. We serve a risen Savior. We worship him this morning. We're going to talk about him this morning, and we are going to learn some things that are just really, really good. I am excited for the Razorbacks to be in the College World Series. I guess they play tomorrow their first game. It's going to be good times. We're going to talk about even better stuff uh, right now. Last week, we began just a two-week series about God being our Father. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to hop online or our app and listen in because you're going to learn some really, I think, helpful things as you learn to view God biblically and understand who he is. And we want to continue to do that today because I would quickly say that a lot of us, and I'm not talking about everybody out there, I'm talking about a lot of us in here today, we have a bad view of God many times. We have uh, an idea that we've settled on and we think, well, that's him. And a lot of times it's not true. And so today we want to continue to look at who he really, really is. As we think about God being our father and our view of him, some of us have this idea in our minds that when it comes to God, we believe in him. But really all we're really capable of doing or what we found ourselves doing over and over again is that I always Make God mad. Therefore, God is always mad. He's just got this scowl on his face. He's always upset with me. He's kind of that traffic cop at the end of the month trying to reach his quota, just waiting to zap me, right? And that's where a lot of people are with God. Like, I think I just make God mad all the time. I always disappoint him. I always just fail him, and he doesn't like me. Uh, I've got a little meme coming on the screen here that maybe uh, takes us a little bit further. I don't know if you can see it or not, but that's George Costanza. And here's what he's saying. He says, God would never let me be successful. He follows it up by saying, he'd kill me first. He'll never let me be happy. Then he goes on to say from the counselor here, she says, I thought you didn't believe in God. And he responds, I do for the bad things. You catch that? And I think that's where a lot of us are. Like we believe in God, but like I think God's just up there with that big old stick ready to beat me over the head and just get me when I mess up. And we think that we just always make God mad and therefore God is always mad. Another bad view we have of God or idea we have about God is this next one. That is, I can make God glad. In other words, I think there is something that I can do. I think there are enough good things that I can do. I think there are enough places that I can go. I think there are enough things that I can accomplish in my life to make God happy with me, to make him pleased with me, to earn his favor. We almost treat him like a talent show judge. Maybe this next image is more of the image you have of God in your mind, all right? That if I do it well enough, he's going to go, yay, right? And I got his favor, and yay, I can make God glad. In fact, maybe you thought you made God mad this week, so you came today because you thought, I made him mad then. If I show up on Sunday, maybe I'll make him glad. Maybe I'll make him glad. Well, there's a hint of truth at the, at the foundation of that, but if you think that you can earn God's favor You've got a bad view of God because you can't do it. He gives it freely. 
And that brings us to this next one, and that is this. God is there to make me glad, right? I'm going to rub his belly, and then he's going to like me, and then he's going to give me what I want. I'm going to do this, and God's. I'm going to pray this prayer, and then God's going to give me. I've been wanting this and wanting this, and I feel like I've been good enough long enough, and now God's going to give it to me because that's what God is there to do. He's there to make me glad. And maybe this next image kind of helps you kind of, you know, it's, yeah, this like mystic or cosmic vending machine, right? Like if I put the money in the bucket, right, and I push the right combination, what I want's going to pop out from God because God is there to make me glad. And I would say to you that all three of these are really erroneous, bad views of God. This idea that God is always mad, that we have the power or the ability on our own to make him glad and him give us his favor, and then this idea that God is there to make me or you glad. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. This is an incredible verse. It says, see how very much our Father loves us. And we talked about that a lot last week. How much God our Father loves us. Then it goes on to say, for he calls us his children and that is is what we are. That last line there in that verse, and that is what we are in the middle of that verse, would you say that out loud with me? And that is what we are. He calls us his children, say it again, and that is what we are. We are children of God. It goes on to say, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children Because they don't know him. So if we are believers in God and his son Jesus Christ, we are his children. We don't declare that about ourselves. He declares it over us and therefore it is true. And he becomes our father. And the rest of the world that doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't have God as their father, what this is ultimately saying is they just don't get it. They don't understand what we have. They don't understand the privilege. They don't understand the relationship. They don't understand the interaction. They don't understand the joy. They don't understand why we would with gladness go to church. They don't understand why we would with gladness give. They don't understand why we would with gladness worship. They don't understand why we would with gladness do what is right. They just don't get it because God is not their father. So we have him as our father for believers. And so what we want to do is we want to introduce them to our father. We want to help them see God in us and the relationship that they can have with him so that they too can experience with him. Life without a father in general, um, it's just kind of, it's kind of pretty grim. Um, in fact, research uh, for the last several years, many years now, they've been doing a lot of research on what it looks like to grow up without an earthly father. And you've seen some of this research, and I'm not going to bore you with stats, but here's what we know. In almost every category that you want your kid to go up in, the kids that don't have an earthly father, the percentages say they go down in. The areas in which you don't want them to go down in, they normally go down in if the presence of an earthly father is not there. The lack of a father makes life pretty, pretty ugly. I'll remind you what we talked about last week. Your father is not God. 
but God wants to be your father. Now, I want to say a couple things here, and we didn't really focus um, much of our attention last week on dads, those of us in the room that have children. Uh, There were a lot of principles that applied, but we really talked about God being our father. But what this reminds me of right now as we talk about the presence of the father, it's so important, fathers in the room, to be present in the lives of your children. It is so so important. Do everything you've got to do to be present in their lives lives. Do everything you've got to do. Maybe some of you are sitting there right now and your kids aren't with you today because they're with mom right now and you're thinking about her and you can't stand her. Do everything you've got to do to be present in the lives of your children. If you still have them in your home, be present in their lives. If I'm not careful, I can do just like you do, and I can come home, and I can figure out ways to get away from my kids. My kids need me. They need me. They tell me they need me. When they act up, you know what they're saying? I need a father. I need a father. But then the good news is I am not ultimately their rescuer. I'm not ultimately their savior. God is, and he's available to anyone and to everyone. And we're going to make that really, really clear today, that he is the father of the fatherless. So what does life look like without the heavenly father? Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. What we're about to read in Romans chapter 1 is um, the first part of it is going to be very encouraging. It's going to be a reminder to those, those of us that are believers, okay? And then we're going to get down a few verses, and it's going to get very somber and sobering. And then we're going to get a little bit lower, and some of us in the room are going to think, man, this is a great verse for me to get really loud on and amen on, and I'm going to encourage you not to, because I don't think this is an amen passage. I think this is a woe passage. I think this is a let the Spirit of God say what the Spirit of God wants to say, because as we continue to read, if you amen really loud on the early parts, you're going to say woe later about yourself. So just let this passage just soak into your heart. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving saving everyone who believes. I know that we as Christians know that, but we need to be reminded right now that we are who we are through the grace of God. We are not children of God because we are good people. We are children of God because he's a good God who gave his perfect son named Jesus. And if we are children of God today, it's because we are believers. It goes on to say the Jew first and also the Gentile. That's the biblical way of saying anybody and everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you came from, you can be saved and rescued through the good news. Verse 17 goes on to say, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This accomplished, this is accomplished from start to finish by, what does the word say? By what? Faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now it begins in verse number 18 to begin to describe what it looks like to not have God as your father. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful Wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Wait a minute. 
Who's he talking about? Everybody that's not a believer. And it says that he's made himself obvious to everybody. How did he do that? Look now in verse number 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his external power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. What is being declared here is that God says, My creation, everything that you see that I have made, which is everything, declares that I am God. So if someone says, I don't believe in God, they're saying that they're ignoring what I've given them to reveal myself to them. Verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Verse 23. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Did I tell you this is kind of a somber passage? It's sad. This is where the unbelieving person finds themselves over time. Because we were created to know God, we were created to desire God, we were created to worship God, and when we reject the God of creation, we find ourselves worshiping other things like the creation. Verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with, with each other's bodies. And again, this is another part of that passage that's very sobering and very real for a lot of people in the world today. And I pray that we'll allow the Spirit of God to say what it wants to say through the Word of God. Verse 25. They traded the truth of God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstab backstabbers. Haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Read on in chapter 2. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse. 
When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin? For just a moment, believers, would you put your eyes on the cross? Would you see the goodness and the mercy of grace that I would quickly, and I think you would join me in agreeing, is what drew us to God, our Father. His mercy is what led us to repentance, that change of direction from our own sinful, selfish ways into salvation and a different way of living, understanding that without ever seeing the cross, without ever seeing the Savior, without ever seeing the empty tomb, we too would be described by Romans chapter 1. But if it weren't for his grace, that's where we would be. And God's grace changed me, God's grace changed you, and God's grace can change anybody. And there are some anybodies out there that need to experience this grace that we know, that we need to love, and we need to point them to Jesus and his work on the cross for their sin, just like he died for our sin. This is what Jesus came to do. God's kindness leads to repentance. So here's what I want you to join me in praying, believers, okay? I want you to join me in praying that those around us, uh, maybe the first part that we read about how far away from God people can be and immorality and all those kind of things describe maybe someone you know. Maybe it's your neighbor, uh, maybe it's your coworker, um, maybe it's your relative, and you just, you just, man, you just, it just wells up inside of you when you think about what they do and, and what they are doing that goes against God. Would you join me in praying that God would use me, God would use you in their lives to see his presence, his fatherhood, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, so that they can experience it too, and so that he can become their father. And guess what happens when he becomes our father? He changes us, and he will change them. Pray for them to experience the grace that you have received. Turn now over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 15. Romans 8, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. So in other words, um, when we became children of God, we didn't cower down and think, oh, God's ready to beat me up, and so I've got to do what he says. That's not who we are. It says, instead, you have received God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, when he, and here's this beautiful word, adopted you as his own children. That word leaps off the page for some of you in this room because you were adopted. Some of you have adopted children. And so that word's just massive for you. And it just carries such weight and such meaning. And I want it to carry that for all of us as we read here in verse number 15. When he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. He's not merely God to us now. He's not merely creator to us. He's still that. But he's also 
our Father. We have relationship with now because something that you're waiting on them to just place on you when they die. But some of you, maybe in the room right now, you get a little excited when you think about it. Man, when they die, I'm going to get a pretty good deal out of this thing, right? Right? Maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, like you're not wishing them to be dead, but then your mind's like, I'm their heir. It's a pretty big deal. I'm going to get their inheritance. Did you hear what the Word of God just declared? That if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore a child of God, that you are heirs? You are going to get the inheritance of God. That should overwhelm you. It goes on to say we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So he introduced to us this idea of adoption. This idea of God looking at me, God looking at you, seeing everything about you. And when I say everything, I mean everything. I'm talking about the everything word that makes you uncomfortable. The everything word that you just think to yourself, if everybody here knew everything about me, they wouldn't have let me in the door today, everything. God says, I know everything about you, the good, the bad, and all the ugly, and I Pick you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now listen to verse number 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God said, you know what? I want you. I want you. I pick you. I see everything about you. Again, the good, the bad, the really bad, the ugly, the really ugly. And I pick you. And I'm going to adopt you. And it's going to cost me a lot, just as adoption today costs people a lot. And yet it costs God so much more. It costs God the death of his one and only son, Jesus, so that we could be adopted to become his sons and to become his daughters and to become heirs with Christ. Jesus died to purchase you and I and the adoption that we have in God. So here's what I want you to get this morning. I want it to soak in. God the Father picked you. I don't know. There's pushing, I don't know. Seven, maybe nearly eight billion people on the planet today. I don't know where we are. I can't keep count. I've been trying to keep up. But anyway, it's kind of, you know, big numbers. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people that have lived before us. There's a lot of people that have lived after us. If you're God, you get to pick anybody you want. Do you pick you? And yet God says, I pick you. I want you. I love you. My son Jesus is going to die for you. I want you to be my own. I want to adopt you. Now, before you maybe get a big head, which we're all tempted to do, 
and you think you're some cute little orphan, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were cute and cuddly. No. While we were still, what's that word? Sinners. Now we read about some sinners in Romans chapter 1, didn't we? And I think we'd all agree we're kind of uncomfortable in part of that passage, even reading it, even though it's the word of God. You're like, oh man, we're reading this out loud right now. God said that. What's he going to say about that? Well, what are we, we going to do about that? And, and then we got down to the other part that described more of us in the room about greed and lust and gossip. Gossip made the list. Gossip? Gossip made that list? I mean, that other list. I mean, we get that, but gossip? Come on, now that's like me, right? What? And God says, while you were still a sinner. And that describes all of us without Jesus, by the way. It's, it's a clear description of every human being without Jesus, a sinner. But that radically, forever, eternally changes in Jesus when we receive him and his forgiveness and his grace, and we are no longer known as sinners. We are now known as righteous and children of God, not by the things that we have done, but because of the things that he has done. So he looks at you, he sees a sinner. He looks at me, he sees a sinner, and he says, I pick you. Some interesting things to kind of uh, explain to you really quickly about adoption from many years ago um, in the Roman era in which this would have been written that they would have understood is pretty incredible. So first of all, adoption in the Roman times, going back a couple thousand years ago, looked quite a bit different than it does today. In fact, the majority, I won't say all, but the majority of adoptions that took place in Roman culture were not of cute, cuddly little babies from China. Okay? That's not the way it worked. The way it worked in that day was they would wait till you grew up to be an adult and they would adopt you after you became an adult. Why would I do this as some important Roman citizen? Because I'm really concerned about who carries on my name and my lineage and my character, if you will, and gets my inheritance. And so I'm going to watch you to see if I like you or not. I'm going to watch you to see if I want to pick you or not. I'm going to see how you grow up and how things turn out before I decide to adopt you. And if I like you well enough and I think that you can carry on my name the way I think you want, I want you to, then I'm going to pick you and then I'm going to adopt you. And they would adopt this adult, normally a male, as their son so they could pass on their legacy and inheritance. So let's say I'm a Roman. Obviously, I've probably got money and I've got clout and maybe I've got position too. And I'm a Roman guy looking for someone to adopt and I'm looking to adopt little Johnny. Why would I adopt little Johnny? Because I need a male to carry on my legacy and obtain my inheritance. I may or may not have a biological son, but I'm picking the one that I like best. In fact, in that culture, there were times that they would disinherit their biological children because they didn't think that they were fit to carry on their legacy. And they would pick somebody that was grown that they thought could do it. So I would ask little Johnny 
to sign a piece of paper, among others. One of them will be called, and forgive my pronunciation of this, I'm not, I'm not some big language guru, but it would be called Patre Potestas. And what that would mean when they sign that would mean I have all authority as their father. We would sign the paper, I would sign it, little Johnny would sign it. And as the father, I had absolute control over little Johnny's life, grown Johnny's life. Everything that little Johnny would earn would be mine. Everything that he possessed would become mine. And I have, I have not only um, power over that, I have power over his life. But in doing so, as his father, I would make this promise. I would promise to protect him, promote him, and care for him. And then when it's all said and done and I die, he gets everything that I've got. My inheritance, my wealth, my legacy, my position would all go to that adopted person. So then we would put a little dotted line out there and we'd get ready to sign. And I would say, I'm going to sign it. Will you sign it? And they knew what they were getting into. I knew what I was getting into. And it's really interesting as you go back and look at Roman law and everything that I can find, I've researched this several times, is that it was possible for me to disinherit my biological son, but it was next to impossible for me to disinherit my adopted son. So in other words, adoption was once and for all. And there's the dotted line, the X for us to sign on. I sign and he signs. God the Father, when he gets you, he knows what he's getting. He sees you, again, all the good, all the bad, and all the ugly. And he says, I want you. And I don't want you for a short amount of time, but I want you forever. And there are four things that come when you receive him as your father that are just absolutely incredible. We're going to put them on the screen. You can put them in your notes. And here they are. Number one, you get a new family. A new family. When I received Jesus as my Savior and God became my Father, I entered into the family of God. What a family to be a part of. What a heritage to be a part of. Get a new name. You get a, good, a new name. Now, according to Scripture, we're going to get this name when we get to heaven. I don't know what God's going to call me and God's going to call you, but he's got a name picked out for you that fits you perfectly. Fits you perfectly. We get a new home. By the way, I know that we're not in heaven yet, but it's already our home. This is just a little bit of time passing by. Our home is heaven. By the way, that whole, like, um, not amen part, that was for Romans chapter 1. We're past that part now. So if you want to jump back in, I didn't mean to, like, cut that off forever. I should have, like, said, time up. We're good. Move on. Number four. Let me read them again. We get a new family. We get a new, we get a new name. We get a new home. And uh oh, number four, we get new responsibilities. Oh, I heard a um. And privileges. You see, when he becomes your father, you become his, and he becomes yours, and he is Lord, and he is the boss, and he's got a plan. Look at the guaranteed stuff we see in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 31. Just want to read a couple more verses of scripture with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, we're leading into this. He's talking about our calling and our standing and how we are children of God. And verse 31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
Won't he also give us everything else? Now drop down to verse 38. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an incredible word of truth we have. Let me, let me just share some of the things that you get when God becomes your father. We're going to put a bunch of words on the screen. I'm probably going to mention most of them just to let them soak in just a little bit. Uh, stability, security, future, hope, inheritance, home, purpose, Jesus, father, spirit, family, and protection. These are things that we receive when we receive God as our father. And for just a moment, I want to take this opportunity to kind of show you what we get when we receive God through Jesus. I want, I want you to see this, and it's going to be a, a feeble attempt, but I want you to see it, and I want you to get it. Believers, I want you to leave here today knowing what you have in God your Father. I, I want you to know if you don't have him what you don't have so that you can have him today. So let me move this out of the way. I'm going to invite a few folks up here to, to help me with this really quick. Uh, Michael, you, you're, you're, you're an awesome volunteer, aren't you? He's saying yes. You see that? He's excited. He's coming on. So let me tell you how this works. For just a moment, Michael is, come on up here with me. Michael's going Michael's gonna to be Jesus, okay? And uh, when I was young, I recognized my sin. I recognized my need of a Savior, and I received Jesus into my life. And according to God's word, Jesus came in and took hold of me and promised to never leave me and to never forsake me. Now, I might let go of you, but you don't let go of me. You got it? Okay, don't let go of me. And here's the thing about Jesus. Everywhere I go, he goes. Sometimes I have to pull him along a little bit. But, all right? All right, everywhere I go, he goes. It doesn't stop there. When I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, it made me, caused me to become transform me into becoming a child of God, which makes God my father. And I, so I received God as my father. Keith, would you come up here? I think you're the oldest person in the room, so would you come on up here? <laughs> Grab on this side if you don't mind. And I got you. I got you. And I receive God the Father. So I've got God the Son, Jesus and I've got God the Father, and everywhere I go, they go. I'm, I'm going to go left. All right, okay, all right, okay. All right, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop there, okay? It doesn't stop there. I received him as uh, my Savior. I received him as my Father. I also received the Holy Spirit into my life to comfort me, to lead me, to guide me, to direct me, to protect me, to seal me, and to secure me. Jeremy, would you mind coming up here? Jeremy's going to come on up here. Uh, he's going to be the Holy Spirit for a few moments. Um, get behind me somewhere there and grab, grab part of my arm, grab, grab something. that. Yeah, hang on. There we go. All right. All right, there we go. I got the Father, I got the Son, I got the Holy Spirit, and everywhere I go, they go. 
Now, I can go a lot of places, right? I can go a lot of places that might please them and they want me to go, or I can go some places that might not please them. And we ought to think about that because he is with us all of the time. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it does not stop there, okay? Michaela and Paige, would you guys come on up? Yep, yep, y'all got called. I should pick people from the back. That's what I should do. Come on back here. Grab, put a hand on my shoulder if you don't mind. And uh, Michaela and Paige, they're, they're going to be my guardian angels, all right? They're going to be there to protect me. And everywhere I go, all right, they go. All right, it, it doesn't stop there, all right? It doesn't stop there. It just keeps going. I get the Son. I get the Father. I get the Spirit. I get guardian angels. I also get a new family that we talked about earlier, and I get brothers and sisters in Christ. The front row, everybody that's capable of doing it, would y'all come on up here? Yeah, that, yeah, front row. I should have said back row. That's what I should have said. Come on up here. Come on up here. Y'all get back there and just grab on somewhere and hang on like you like each other. All right. Y'all ready for this? I'm, I'm going to tell everybody which way I'm going because this could get, we're going to go right. Everywhere I go, with baby steps, we go. This is pretty cool. I mean, this is amazing. This is what I get when I receive Jesus. I get a Savior who forgives me and cleanses me, makes me right. I get a Father whose name is God who will never leave me, never forsake me, created me, loved me, is for me, and is with me. I get a Spirit called the Holy Spirit that will guide me, direct me, convict me when I am wrong, redirect me, protect me. I get guardian angels. I get a family. Now let's go the other way with this for just a moment. And if everybody on the stage will listen to me really, really carefully. If I don't have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I don't have a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. So those of you that were my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if y'all would step on down, please. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have guardian angels to protect me and to go with me. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have the Holy Spirit to protect me, to secure me, to guide me, to direct me. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have the Father. I'm far, far away. If I don't have Jesus, this morning we want you to have Jesus. We want you to experience grace through his work on the cross and his resurrection. We want you to experience relationship with the Father that will change your life forever. We want the Spirit of God to move into your life, to guide you, to direct you, to fill you, to empower you, to secure you. We want you to have a wonderful family, and it happens through Jesus and through Jesus alone. God becomes our Father. In just a moment, uh, the band's going to play a song, and I'll pray. And we're going to give you opportunity to respond. Uh, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. There's going to be uh, people up here that can pray with you, and you can come and pray. And we want to invite you to do that very thing. And maybe today you're recognizing that you're all on your own today. You've had whatever type of idea about God, but he's making himself clear to you today through Jesus and you're seeing him, and you want to receive him and allow him to come into your life all oh, today, we invite you to Jesus. Other opportunities you're going to have to respond is we're going to have opportunity to give. And so, uh, church family, just give with joy and generosity as you do so faithfully. 
it's your first time here, one way you can respond is just by dropping in your communication card into that offering bucket. And, man, we would say thank you, and you'd be glad that you did. So this morning, let's make sure we respond to Jesus. Let's pray.